Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And uh, we are back again talking about Minute 39, which begins with Clemson flicking his lighter and ends with Kruger spraying the undercover bums from the Tommy gun. Uh, Pete is again sick, but we still have back on the show Nathan Blackwell and Chrissy Lenz from the most excellent 80s movies podcast. Welcome back, you two. Thanks for having us. Oh, hello. Uh, I am thrilled to be talking uh, with you both. Uh, we have crossed a big line in this film. Uh, Steve is now hot and buff. And now we get to actually see Captain America in action. And so, and so many people start dying. Yes. <laughs> All because of Steve's and <laughs> this experiment. <laughs> that's, the, that's the cause and effect, is that if Steve becomes hot, now people shall start dying. Yeah, he's a, there has to be a balance. That's right. There hasn't been a lot of deaths up to this point, have there? Uh, we've seen... Um, the the tower keeper and and uh, his uh, assistant both got get killed and presumably everybody in the in town the town of Tonesburg right. Norway they all get killed um, and then yeah and then I don't think we've really seen the results of anything else happen um, up to this point so I mean obviously people have been killed because it is World War Two that is happening <laughs> uh, but in context of the actual film no I think we're we're at this point. Um, we, as we kind of discussed, um, in a few weeks ago or last week, we have this moment where, uh, Schmidt had found Erskine and Zola was just like, well, why, why he's, he can't succeed again. And, uh, and they can reveal that, you know, an order has been given. Something is going to happen to this guy. What is it though? And this is the point where we find out because the camera tilts down. We, you know, we ended last minute on this creepy, uh, shot of, uh, Richard Armitage playing. Well, I guess we can say at this point, he was playing Fred Clemson, the, the person from the, uh, uh, the justice or the Department of Defense, the Justice Department. Now I'm totally forgetting where he is or where he said he's from. And I guess to that extent, it doesn't matter because as we find out, he actually is a spy and he's the one who is sent here. How did this play for the two of you when we see him whip out his uh, cigarette lighter in a threatening manner and Erskine kind of looks at him like something's happening? How does all of this play for the two of you? It's suddenly like all of his mannerisms are now like, oh, you secretly Nazi. Oh, you've got these Nazi. Nazi yeah. mannerisms. Like, like if only we had seen him smoke, he would have smoked like a Nazi, like in a weird, creepy way. It's like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. Or like, uh, what was the, the trick in uh, Inglorious Bastards? It's like how you hold three. Is it like, do you use your, your thumb and the first two fingers or do you use the three? I can't remember the three. Yeah, yeah. Or is it it, the it pinky, was like the pinky. British do this yeah. and then Germans do this. We're all holding our hands up for those uh -huh. of you who are. Are listening in. A wonderfully <laughs> visual <laughs> look. Demonstrating. If you're, yeah, no, no, no. you've seen Inglorious <laughs> Bastards. If you're listening to this, I'm 
there would have been a great moment though to have to have um this character use his fingers and somebody recognizes it it's actually in the, it's interesting in the script Erskine actually sees him pull out the lighter and he says no smoking in here and then he has this like we had seen those flashbacks as he's talking to Steve uh, earlier in the Quonset hut um he there's a moment where he goes back to his flashback and he actually sees this character uh, holding a gun during the experiment with Schmidt. So he actually sees him. He remembers him from that. I thought that was interesting, but also one of these things that we just don't need. I mean, did, did, do either of you feel like we needed anything else with this or do we get everything out of the way it plays? No, I think we, we totally get where we wanted to go. Yeah, I just, to me, I'm like, how did they not seriously vet every single, like, you know, <laughs> I get that there are no like metal detectors or whatever, but like give them a little pat down or or whatever. Like it seems like they just let anybody in. Yeah, it makes you wonder because uh, especially somebody who says he's from the State Department, where he's you know, it, it, I don't know. I feel like it is one of those things where they would have realized like you know, or checked credentials or something. Well, of course, I don't know what credentials mm-hmm. people have, especially in the forties. Who knows? Maybe just the fact that you're saying that and you're dressed in a, a, a cleanly cut suit, people are like, oh, he right. must be. He must be serious. You're a white guy in a suit with a firm handshake. <laughs> and they're like, it checks out, checks out. <laughs> the sad realities of the times, for sure. Um, so, OK, we <laughs> we go from this shot of him pulling out this cigarette lighter. Erskine sees him. It's a great shot of like Stanley Tucci, the way he plays it and recognizes him it, like his face looks great. I love the way we play it. We cut to a wide shot. We're behind uh, uh, Clemson. Now I'm just going to his name is Heinz Kruger. That's how he's actually credited. Uh, so we'll just start calling him Kruger from this point forward since he's revealed himself. We cut to a wide shot. We're behind him kind of over his shoulder down low and we see him holding the cigarette lighter and he pushes it it ignites the cigarette case that he left up in the observation booth which explodes in the wide shot though we see dr erskine weirdly we don't see in the in the close shot we had seen senator brant and colonel phillips directly behind him and he's next to um peggy uh in the wide shot it's just him and then a whole bunch of people in dark suits almost like it's just designed for us to focus our attention on him and forget about everybody else because that really is kind of the focus here but what's interesting and you don't notice this because it all happens so quickly but in this shot and the next shot where he kind of uh, ducks down from the explosion if you look at Dr. Erskine, it is clearly not Stanley Tucci. In these particular cases, <laughs> I almost guarantee it is his stunt double, Peter Pedrero, um, which I don't know. I, I love when I notice stunt doubles, although it's rare that I, I do it unless I'm doing something like this. Did either, did either of you notice him ever or is it did it play so smoothly that you never caught it? No, I didn't notice it at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. You, Andy and Pete know everything about everything. It's always so impressive. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Nathan? Did you did you catch him? No, no, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I, the, the the motion and the cutting worked really well for me, and and uh, I didn't. Uh, it didn't uh, bump for me. Nope. I always look where they want me to look. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, is he going to put a shirt on? Why? <laughs> the things that we're drawn to. I just keep noticing all these silly little details, but it is, it's the point of the show. Why right. am I here if not to yes. pay attention to these silly little details? That's why you're the boss. That's why, yeah. 
I, I wish Stanley Tucci's last lines were, I'm really disappointed about being shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did notice as, as this, as this minute plays and people start being shot, the way that it plays is like very, um, the opposite of like what I feel like would be modern. So I feel like they're, they are giving us that like, 40s serial bit where like people shot and they curl in uh, on themselves and it just like they like curl in on themselves and then fall down as opposed to like in a more modern action movie where you, you shoot somebody and they go flying away um and it just it felt really real in a like upsetting way so when he shoots uh shoots the tooch um it's like and then he goes down as opposed to like, like a big, like he's not, he's not on a wire rig where, you know, right. <laughs> now they shoot yeah. somebody and they go flipping backwards and hurling into a machine or something. Right. Back, yeah. It's just, it seems very real. And like, they just go uh, 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 <laughs> and fall down. Falls down. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, well, maybe it's the gun. Uh, Kruger shoots him with his Walther P38 is what he pulls out and shoots. Uh, and this is, of course, after he has gone and stolen, of course, the uh, the single remaining vial. It was Chekhov's uh, vial of super soldier serum left in there. Of course, they made seven when they only needed six because one has to get stolen. Yeah, uh, that's of course how it plays out um it's you know it's a, it's a, it is a nice little moment i i enjoy all of that and you're right it's it is played more simply than a lot of action beats in today's films and so to that end i think it works nicely i i do think it's funny though when he does get shot there is like everybody's cowering from the explosion and you know uh, erskine has stood up and said stop him from stealing this thing and it cuts after he's shot. It cuts to uh, to um, Kruger running up the stairs, and there's an MP soldier <laughs> leaning up against the railing, who's also there cowering <laughs> and has not done anything. And I'm like, he was right next to the guy. He's a, he's the MP. He's a military police. He gets freaked out by needles. Oh. He's been pretty useless <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> I I think that's exactly it. There's there's too much too much going on here. <laughs> He wasn't wearing sunglasses. He didn't have the protection. <laughs> He's having trouble. There's so many people in there. It's absurd that this guy is like grabs the one item in this room that everyone would be so protective of and just gets away. Like, yeah, come on, Howard Stark, jump him, throw, throw something. Somebody do something. Somebody do something. That's right. It's it's also interesting that, you know, you see um, when the explosion happens, there's also a great like reaction shot of like the group of people you see um, Colonel Phillips push the senator down to protect him. You can kind of make out Steve Rogers under there only because his shirt is the tightest of all of the people <laughs> who are crouching down. Peggy is next to him. But what I love about Tommy Lee Jones as an actor is this glass explodes and goes everywhere. He, of course, is the only actor who raises his head toward camera to look and see what's going on because he, of course, is the one who has to show how tough he is as an actor that, you know, we've got all this glass raining down on this. I'm still going to make sure people see my face so they know it was me. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, Tommy. Tommy Lee Jones. But yes, as a character, though, he also is cowering. Nobody does anything. And I guess in context of what 
I guess what Kruger was trying to do, create a distraction that gets everybody to um, look away or duck or hide or or whatever. It works because they do that. He's able to go steal the serum and Erskine's the only person who really is paying attention and notices and tries to stop him. And of course, he, he plugs him twice and runs off. There's probably their ears are probably ringing. You know, just the feel of your body from an explosion is something yeah. that probably makes you curl up in, you know, just as a reaction from it. Everyone's just yeah. had a really long day, you know, <laughs> emotions were like way up. And then it's like it's like coming from the Oscars and you get into a car wreck like people are all over the place right now. I think it's really funny. There's this the moment right when Erskine gets shot. If you look at the at the the way that it plays out, there is a politician. I mean, there are a bunch of people crouching. There's I, I guess I'm assuming he's a politician, somebody who had come down from upstairs, an old man who is screen left of Stanley Tucci, and he's kind of cowering down, and he raises his head up just as uh, Stanley Tucci gets shot, and he opens his mouth, and at that exact moment, the the sound. Team added in a woman screaming, presumably somebody like a nurse or somebody scared because of the bullets. Somebody's shooting. But it's so funny. Like, and it's, of course, one of these things that I just noticed and I played it uh, incessantly over and over again when I, because it made me laugh so hard. But it happens right at the moment where this old man opens his mouth and it makes, <laughs> it, makes it look like this old man is screaming like a little girl uh, as soon as the gun fires. It's very, very funny. That's funny. He's- He's no Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) He doesn't know how to take it. That's right. Uh, So Tucci drops. Luckily, I guess Tommy Lee Jones was ducking, or Colonel Phillips, I should say, because as we see the back of Erskine, those bullets made it all the way through. He's got bullet holes on his back. So presumably they might have, you know, hit somebody back there. But luckily, uh, everybody was ducking. Um, And then we have uh, Kruger running up the stairs. Steve. Okay, so Steve runs to Erskine. And th- at this point, um, he's not a soldier, and and Peggy is the one who runs up. She pulls out her Walther PPK and starts shooting at at Kruger as he's running up the stairs, hitting him in his right shoulder, and then he runs out. Uh, but Steve runs to Erskine and has a moment with him uh, instead of like pursuing. How does this play for the two of you as far as like what we're learning with Steve, his relationship with Erskine versus at this point jumping into soldier mode? How does all of this play? Yeah, that works for me because I mean, you would immediately be like Erskine is right in front of him and it looks like he is, his light is fading. And there's also the presumption that there's a bunch of soldiers in this, in this facility. Hopefully he's going to get <laughs> caught by someone. It's like, it's not really my job. <laughs> like, I feel like there's other people around, like, you know. Um, so yeah, it, it, you get that nice little moment where Stanley Tucci doesn't have enough life left in him, just enough to kind of point and uh, to touch. Chris Evans to make sure, yes, I did make you hot. I just wanted to touch you. <laughs> One last touch. Yeah, it's like it's a it's an echo to the to the little like bonding moment they had, right? Where he's like, We can we can make everything about you stronger, but your heart is like the strongest thing around. I liked it because then you really get a sense that like he's chasing them because he is he's mad they killed his friend yeah 
you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than that he stole something important for the war. Right. Right. Because he wouldn't necessarily care about that as much as it's like, these guys, they killed my friend. Well, and yeah, and I, I think, I mean, he's not a person who's trained yet. Like, I mean, we've seen him kind of go through a week-long boot camp, but it's not like he's trained to be a soldier. So he's not thinking like a soldier. He still largely is little Steve in his head, right? Like, he mm-hmm. he doesn't have that. And so, yeah, it makes sense that the first thing he thinks about doing is going over to Erskine and taking care of this person who, you know, over this period is really kind of shown to be kind of a, a mentor figure for him and be there with him. Mm-hmm. As he's dying and and that great moment that you talked about, Nathan, where Erskine kind of taps him on his chest. And yes, I mean, I'm sure he wanted to touch the peck, but really it's that it's that reminder, like, you know, it's what's inside uh, that kind of that that moment that we had earlier in the film. And it's 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 a really touching way to do it. No words are spoken. It's just that last beat there that, uh, you know, the last reminder from Erskine to Steve about, you know, rem- stay who you are on the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it it plays really nicely. I love the way that whole I think so that whole thing plays. And sadly, that is a picture wrap on Stanley Tucci for Captain America: The First Avenger, the first of our big picture wraps. Um, so sad because I really love him. I loved his character. Uh, you know, he's just great in this movie. Yeah. Are you two are you two fans of Stanley Tucci in general? All about the yep. Tucci. Do you have mm-hmm. what's your favorite Love that what's Tucci. your favorite uh, Stanley Tucci film or performance? Okay. So there's a movie called Undercover Blues. Are you <laughs> do you know this movie? Uh, Undercover Blues. No? I don't think so. So it's Dennis Quaid and Kathleen Turner, and oh. they are um, a couple who are honeymooning. Or no, they're not honeymooning. They're like baby mooning. They have a little, a little baby. This is 90s um, we're talking about. Yeah. It's yeah. very early 90s. I wish it was an 80s movie because we <laughs> would have done it on our podcast. But uh, they go on vacation to New Orleans, and Stanley Tucci plays a, a, a bad guy. But a com- comedic comedic bad guy uh called muerte <laughs> and he's so funny in it um <laughs> and so that that's my favorite stanley tucci if you haven't seen it it's worth a watch wow i don't think uh, he he weirdly became somebody that i started paying attention to i feel like the late 90s early 2000s and so i don't i don't think that mm-hmm. i have seen much of him in the early 90s so yeah i'll have to check that one out uh, how about you, Nathan? Um, it's been a while, but I remember um, uh, really kind of like key, you know, it was like really being aware of him um, uh, after Big Night, uh, which yeah, which is just so good. That's like one of those those great like I'm a I'm a big fan of like uh, food movies, and that's uh, that's one that I need to revisit for sure. But now he's just he, he's is one of those things to where he's in so many things and he's always great. He always brings so much to anything he's in, you know, whatever whatever the 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 part is, big or small. I'm always appreciative of the Tooch. Mm-hmm. Well, he's one of those actors who has proven himself in small indie sorts of films um, and and even behind the camera, like with Big Night, uh, into big studio films like this or The Hunger Games or The Transformers. Like he, he clearly just loves being in all sorts of varieties of projects. And I love that about him. Yeah. 
Um, all right. So we're going to say goodbye, bid adieu to our sweet uh, Dr. Erskine. And now we're going to follow Kruger as he runs out. He's holding his arm, uh, but he still manages to shoot several MPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's funny is when he makes it up to that upstairs hallway, he's running down the hallway, shoots an MP. There's a scientist who starts coming out the one of the side doors and instantly jumps back. Like, <laughs> like he realizes what's happening oh, and snap. disappears. Yeah, he's like, yep, this, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'll room. just go back here. <laughs> Wrong, yep. <laughs> but then as as we see um, Kruger run up and he hits the secret button to open that bookcase door, it looks like behind him, I, I don't know if it's a private or what it is, but it looks like somebody who runs over to the MP who's been shot instead of like trying to take Kruger out. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, isn't that backwards like why aren't they trying to stop this guy i mean i get it he's trying to help the person who is injured but still it's like isn't at this point your goal to stop the person first and then we'll treat everybody who is hurt they keep passing the buck yeah nobody does a good job (laughs) nobody does a good job of like stopping this guy from stealing the one thing and like everybody's just like oh shoot we didn't think someone bad might show up i where's my gun like they, they, all do they were terrible. relying they are, too much on uh, machine gun grandma upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> and she and she did uh-huh. great. She was she did the best out of all she of them. She was ready at least, yeah, but yeah. she she stood in the wrong place. Like if if you're going to do that and this is of course we're running back up to the antique the antique shop. This is the antique store owner or aka Agent X13 according to the comics. Um she mm-hmm. has the Tommy gun and she's ready to shoot at him but stands right in his path so that he can just shoot her first. It's like if you're going to do that mm-hmm. at least like stand to the side or something so that he he makes you make it harder for him. But he shoots her she of course hits the trigger and and blasts into the ceiling, killing everyone on the second floor. Killing <laughs> everyone on the second floor, and he takes her Tommy gun and runs out the door. Um, and we should say at this point we see Peggy Carter; she is pursuing him, and we also saw Steve get angry. You won't like Steve when he's angry, and we're going to find out why <laughs> as we run upstairs. His signature um, catchphrase. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. I, you know, I want them all to share each other's catchphrases. Like, you know, they can, they can do that, right? Yeah. I'd love to have Steve say, you won't like me when I'm angry. I, I think it makes sense in this he case. He originated all the catchphrases and then one by one, he <laughs> kind of like gave them out as he trusted, trusted them. Yeah. Right. This is for you, Bruce. That's what you have to do as a good leader is, is be willing to share and make sure everybody has a good catchphrase. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see like a little catchphrase book where he's working on writing them all out and coming up with them. It's like, I could do this all week. No, no, no. Let's no. See, what can I say? No, 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 I no, could no. do this forever. No, no, no. What could, I could do this all day. Yes, that's it. You know, like really he's workshopping them. Yeah, he has to workshop these things. Um, so we see Kruger run out. Uh, he totally shoulder checks this old guy, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is kind of funny. Well, this he old just shot grandma down. at that point. You know, there's no he more just, like, you know, barriers left. <laughs> right. He just doesn't care anymore. Um, and then he screams for his driver and his aide. Uh, we had seen these two earlier. We saw a bunch of suspicious people outside. Now's the time to talk about them. So the driver is Fabrizio Santino and Kruger's aide is Sergio Covino. The 
the aide and Kruger both yell at e- yell for each other. It sounds like Kruger says Thomas, Thomas. I can- it's hard to tell what he says, but that's kind of what it sounds like. And then it sounds like Thomas says either now or Schnell or something, trying to get uh, you know they're working together. Now we get these two undercover bums that were on the other side of the door. These were the other suspicious people that we had seen. They are the most and again just showing how inept and ill prepared all of these people are. The two under cover bums who presumably their whole job is to make sure that everything on the outside is kept safe. Mm-hmm. We have this guy running out. He, I mean, we just heard bullet shots from inside. They do nothing until, until Kruger's aide starts shooting at them. Once the aide starts shooting at them, that's when they start returning fire. It's like, who, what are these guys? They're so, uh, they might've been in the middle of a transaction. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep up their cover. <laughs> they were doing something. They're like, no, no, no. Uh-huh. We, we we still have to look like bums. We still have to look like bums. Yeah, it never crossed anyone's mind that someone would try and steal something. They're all just completely caught unaware. Clearly, it's embarrassing. It is really embarrassing. It's their it's their first day. <laughs> they were still in training. Yeah. Like the, there was only supposed to be one bum. One guy was actually training the other on his first day. <laughs> He was shadowing. Yeah, he was shadowing. Yeah. Right. So we're missing the conversation between them. Okay. So in a situation like this, this is where you're listening. Now we heard gunshots. So what would you do? Oh crap, Grandma! <laughs> well, I and I do think it like it 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 serves to create the ineptness of everyone makes Steve's actions seem more meaningful even though it's like he's just chasing the guys who did this crime there should be 20 people doing what he's doing <laughs> yeah. but uh-huh. it makes it seem a lot more significant that he, that he's he's on the case and also peggy you know because when she uh leaps in it's like oh the only people here who know what they're about are steve and peggy yeah and that's very true and then we're definitely set up to to see that those two are the two who actually are competent and are getting things done. Yeah, she's already shot the dude once at this point. Right. You know, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Very true. Uh, the undercover bums, those are Marcella Walton and Vincent Montuel. Um, Marcelo Walton, I, I had a note to look at his IMDb because it was kind of interesting. He was in, um, IMDb, his four known fours are Rush, the Ron Howard car racing movie with Chris Hemsworth. He plays an Italian journalist in that film. Again, he's in this one. Those are one of his, uh, four known fours. He's in a film called Macbeth's Disciple where he plays Banquo and he's in a film called Interview with a Hitman. Wouldn't it be great if he was always credited as undercover bum? <laughs> <laughs> he just is always, always undercover bum. Um, he's a person who's popped up in lots of different things uh, in these kind of small roles. Uh, seems more like a theater person. Uh, that's largely what he does. Mm. Um, where, where was this filmed? This was filmed in the UK. Um, at least this part. Like the ex- it's, it's interesting. The exterior of this was filmed in the UK, but a lot of the street chase was filmed then over in uh, Universal Studios in the New York street set. That's what I was going to say. Like, it really looked, uh, really looks like that. And it, it's very brown out there. Well, yeah. And th- this film has been very brown. They really brought the browns mm-hmm. out with the, with the way that this whole thing looks. Um, Okay, so we, we end up this minute, Kruger and his driver take off. Uh, he sprays the Tommy gun, killing the two undercover bums. 
Uh, we're going to see blood. This is a film that we definitely are having uh, more blood. I mean, we've seen some blood in some of the previous films, but really, like, I feel like this film does get a little gritty. And usually it's like the blood spray that we get. Like, as he as he kills the two of them, we see little puffs of that blood in the air. Um, I don't know. How do you how do you two feel about like the way that violence is portrayed in this particular film? Well, yeah, it's it's definitely different because, I mean, you're used to, like, um, at this point, we haven't gotten a lot of superhero movies, but it's generally, like, big cartoony violence, whereas this is, like, both exaggerated, like, 40s action, but yet it is a war movie. And so I remember it's like, oh, yeah, in the trailer, oh, that's odd, like, Captain America is sh- is literally shooting dudes with a gun, you know? Like, it is a war movie, you know? Yeah. And so there is that that violence and that blood spray, and, and, it's, and, and it's kind of intersecting those, those two genres, a superhero movie and a war movie. And there's that part of you that just has to, like, you know, reconcile and calibrate your, your expectations, especially when you see Grandma getting totally plugged. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I agree. Yeah, I felt... It felt realer than a lot of the other uh, Avengers type uh, violence. Yeah, more to the ground. Like it's like it's like eventually with superhero stuff, you get to the point to where it's the villains are almost as godly as the heroes. Like oh, we've got to send robots and and mythical things at it. And this right now here, where everyone is like human, you know. And then you start to get these tiny little super people starting to pop up but it's more or less just people versus people using their people weapons you know and so it's a lot more Mm -hmm. on the ground shooting with guns and knives and things like that Mm -hmm. do you both enjoy the fact that for this particular story this origin story we went back to the 40s do you think that they could have done a captain america origin story where it is set in 2011 or do you feel like this was the way to do it? This was the way to do it. Yeah. I feel like because you, uh, to have, I really like the man out of step with time with captain America. You've got to give him something. And then it's also just, it, it puts him in such a light of his mentality of selflessness, you know, and you don't want, you don't, it's like you could have have, have had him be a soldier who was in Afghanistan being a patriotic hero, but then you would have probably added in your own two cents to it, your own, like, cynicism. It's like, well, yeah, you know, your own kind of commentary of what that means. But to have him come from a simpler time when America meant one thing and heroics meant that uh, something else, you know, that it, it was more of a, you know... It, let's say a virginal time for what heroism meant rather than a more complicated shades of gray of what like patriotism meant, you know? Um, I I feel like that was significant. And plus it was just, it's just a really cool different kind of approach and setting to put it, you know, in the forties to put it like 70 years ago that um, you get a much different kind of visual imagery and palettes and things like that and how the it, you can kind of tell the origin of all superhero stories with going further back in time. I agree with everything Nathan said as as always. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I I like I think what's something that Marvel does successfully is that they have like 
a lot of the movies have this different feel to them. So they don't end up all being the same because they are all so they're all the same when you really boil it down. Um, but you get like the the 40s and of this and like when you add just a little sprinkle on the top of like something that feels different and gives us an opportunity to to have these great costumes and these details uh it, it just it makes it so much richer a an environment than everything just being like oh no we're all the same as superman and batman and wonder woman we all live at the same time and wear the same outfits and <laughs> do the same thing so i loved it where does this film fall for you, the two of you in your like ranking of all the films for the marvel cinematic universe mm, good question not high not high like i think this movie is like everything after the minutes that we're doing is like kind of boring for a long time um <laughs> it's not one of my favorites so i'm i'm like a real fan of of this movie but there's also something that happens of where you it's sort of like oh yeah i love season one of the walking dead but you can't rewatch it as as much as you because you get so strung along with what is happening in the current story that you're more hooked into and wanting to rewatch maybe like the the you know like the winter soldier or something like that when he's further along in the journey and then that's more of the story you you end up becoming hooked into um so admittedly it's not one that i rewatch a lot even though i at the time it was probably my favorite marvel movie hmm. It's just it, as more things have come out, you yeah, kind of like it is, it, as like, Steve changes, as the Marvel universe changes, you start sort of that becomes like your your like that that's the current Marvel, and then there's like the older stories which you maybe are a little less reluctant in going back to rewatch, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like I find myself watching like. You know, um, Infinity Wars or like the first Doctor Strange or stuff, you know, Thor Ragnarok and, and rewatching that stuff and not going back to like Thor 1 or, or Iron Man 1. Or even Iron Man 1, yeah. It's once they all get together, you're like, why, why is he anyone's individual story? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely an element of kind of the 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 sense of needing to go through the origin with all of these first films for each of them, you know, like having to go through the origin story as opposed to just having a story with them in it. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah. that there, that is something with um, this film. And, you know, this this was a one I struggled. I struggled with a lot when I first uh, after I first watched it, because it did feel like, well, OK, so he wanted to be a soldier and now he's a soldier and he's fighting. And then the movie ends. And so it took me a while to kind of click with this one because, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I didn't see right away that really the, the story is not necessarily his character arc. It's how he's changing all these people around him, like Colonel Phillips and, and somebody who finally is able to see that this person can be more. And so I, I definitely appreciate that. I, it still isn't my favorite of the franchise, but I do think the fact that they brought Joe Johnston on to direct it, I think was a great choice to kind of tell this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, any last thoughts about this minute or should we uh, wrap it up? We can come back tomorrow to talk about uh, what's going to happen with everything going on. Will Kruger escape? Ooh, I wonder. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to see what happens next. 
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, why don't you both uh, remind everybody again about your podcast and where people can tune in? Yeah, thank you. Please, uh, please check out the most excellent 80s movies podcast. Uh, we talk about our uh, favorite movies from the 80s or, or movies that we might have missed to uh, see how they hold up now that we are uh, fully adult grown ups and uh, a lot of them are about what you would expect, but uh, surprisingly, some of the ones you wouldn't think uh, are still relevant really really hold up nicely. Uh, war games and risky business come to mind as ones where you're like, no, that's pretty great. That holds up. That's good to hear. It's always nice to hear when things still work. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody, we'll have a link to their podcast in our show notes. You can just click on that and go check it out. You can also go to Marvel Movie Minute to learn more about uh, where you can hang out with us over in Discord and our socials and uh, sign up to become a member, get merch, all that good stuff. We will be back tomorrow to talk about more of Kruger's escape with the Super Soldier Serum. So until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.